reading out of Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, and James 3, 17. Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared the meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. James 3, 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. The peace then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere.
Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the works of flesh. We are not part of the works of darkness. We have been saved and changed and transformed. We can stand on this holy ground and shout it on top of our lungs. We are no longer a slave to sin. We are a children of God. Father, thank you. The Bible says, what a manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us that we may be called the children of God. Father, from the four corners of this building, I ask you to say something to someone. I am just ash and dust. I can do nothing without you. Say something this morning to your children and let your name be glorified. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you, my family, for seeing you again. Hope all of us had a good time last week when we started this teaching. We were talking about the wisdom, the godly wisdom. I'm not talking about every other wisdom. Last week, just for those of us who were not here, I was able to show to us two stories. One was somebody who had mental problem was in the bus, and you were in that bus. And then there was a fight because of the action of that mental boy. And everybody was hitting this boy until they tackled him down. But you were there. You didn't do anything. You didn't throw a punch. You didn't say a bad word from your mouth against somebody that had mental problem. You stood quiet and would say that was the prudent of wisdom, that was what wisdom is all about. The people who hit that young man, who spoke bad word against him, and when all settles, they found that the person they were attacking was somebody that had mental problem. I show you, consider the picture of what happened there. I believe you must be very proud of yourself. And those people who took the action by hitting the mental boy, I believe they would say, wow, if we had none, we couldn't have done what we did. I'll show you that picture. And I also share with us here, 
about a grandmother I met towards ending of last year who, when she saw me, she told me flatly that she has been disappointed. She said, Grandma, how the younger generation were taunting her age, making fun of her age. He said she was just felt disappointed that this wasn't what she saw when she was growing up. And then she decided to go to Africa to see if God can use her to touch someone's life there. And she told me when she got there how she was blessed because of the way she was received. And then also shared with us last week that it was out of that grandma discussion with me was what prompted this teaching on godly wisdom. While that grandma was talking to me, I started having flashbacks as I was growing up in Africa as a young man. How I saw things. I grew up from a poor family. My parents had nothing. Absolutely nothing. How I was a part of everything that happened in the family, going to farm. I went to school. I had only one pair, of, one pair of sandals when I was in college. When I was elected the president of our college, my darling mom that year had to work so hard to raise more chickens and more produce to sell them in the market in order to buy me another pair of sandals and the school uniform. I grew up in that kind of environment. And so this is what really, really, really brought this idea of talking about wisdom, but not only wisdom alone, but godly wisdom. Now, if you look at our brochure, I chose the face of Al. I told you that in the Greek mythology, Al depicts wisdom. So I decided to use the face of Al. Even though my lady here, she hates her. She doesn't like her. Thank you, uh, Brother Nathan, for your text this morning. Let's look back again what we read this morning from the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 1 to 6. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. Wisdom built a house. It didn't say that money has built a house. It didn't say power has built a house. It didn't say knowledge has built a house. It says wisdom has built its house and has set seven pillars. To those of us here who are architects or builders, you know the importance of pillars in a house. So wisdom is a pillar to a family. Wisdom is a pillar to a generation. Wisdom is a pillar to a family. You saw wisdom has set up her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine and has also set her table. She has sent out her servant. She has called from the highest point of city. Let all who are simple come to my house. 
I told you that when the Bible says those who are simple, I want you to know that it's just not thinking about simple the way you may understand simple. It's talking about those people who probably live in lives that is against the word of God, that is against the knowledge of God. You know them. You sometimes find them around your neighborhood or on the road. They are everywhere. These are some people who are lawlessness. The Bible says they live a simple life. They find security in living that kind of life. Bible says wisdom invite them. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Live your simple ways. Simple ways again. Live your simple way, and you will live and walk in the way of insights, in the way of knowledge, in the way of understanding. The James chapter 3 verse 17 says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all all pure. You see, wisdom comes from heaven. Who is in heaven? Our Father, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are there in heaven. They are here with us also too because the Bible says we are two or three gathered. I am there in their midst. But the Bible says, the wisdom I'm talking about today, it comes from heaven. It comes from heaven. Because it comes from heaven, it's pure. He said then, it's peace-loving. Because it comes from heaven, it is peace-loving. It is considerate. It's submissive and full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial. And sincere. You see, this is the wisdom of God. Does my action every day reflect this text here in the book of James? No matter whatever is going on in a society, but when I say a word to you, or when you say a word to me, or when I write something to you, or when you write something back to me, or when I post something right there on the internet to the public to read, the question I have to ask myself, what is the prudence of wisdom? Does it reflect what the book of James is telling us this morning? Because if you are a child of God, you don't hide it. It's not something you put in the wallet and zip it up. If you are a child of God, your word shows it. Your actions shows it. The way you relate to people, your writing shows it. Everything you do reflect that. And that is the wisdom we are talking about this morning. Like I said last week, we are not short of knowledge in our time. Knowledge is everywhere. The book of Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 says, Knowledge shall be increased. Knowledge shall be what? Shall be increased. But in the vast of this knowledge and this vast technologies we have, what is diminishing, what is running short, what we are not having is godly wisdom. Just the younger ones. Take, for example, how many texts do you send each day and each week and each month to your friends? 
from those text messages we sent, ask yourself, how many of them has the word of God in them? How many of them has connotation of Bible reference on them? How many of them carries the message, can you come to my church? From all those thousands and thousands of messages we sent to our friends. You see, the world are so drunk in knowledge, but we have not benefited from that knowledge in the body of Christ. We are not seeing that knowledge that is growing around us, using it as a great opportunity to enrich the kingdom of God, to bring more people to Christ. It seems like it's a knowledge that has been crafted and coined just to benefit me, myself, the flesh. So knowledge is everywhere. I clean windows. That's what I do to help to support my family and to do what we do in Africa. That job has given me a lot of opportunities to get into families I wouldn't have gone into. I wouldn't have gone into. Late last year, one of my customers called me, said, come and clean my windows. So as I went to her house, he asked me not to clean the master's bedroom. He said there was a fire that came into that room. He said the room got, the wire in the wall got heated, and then there was fire. He said, but what happened was, I was gone, my husband, my husband, both of us were gone. But we had a guy and a boyfriend who are students living in one of the rooms there. They rented one room, one room from the house here to a, a guy and a, a girlfriend. They are a student in the town. They were in the house when the fire came from the master's bedroom, flame. He said, it was my neighbor who was calling me and said, we saw flame come right from your house. The woman said, jeez, somebody's in the house, somebody's in the house. The neighbor said, I don't know. So they started calling the fire people and the fire people started running, coming to the place. I can assure you that the fire people came to that house. Two people were in that house. They never knew that the part of the house was almost on fire. Ask yourself, what were they doing? They were playing video games. Their air, everywhere clogged. They couldn't hear when the alarm, fire alarm in the house, Trigger out, they couldn't hear that. They were playing video game. That is technology. Those are kind of the things that sometimes it makes me very, very uncomfortable. It puts me in a panic mode when I see the vast of this new, the, the, the danger of these new technologies in our time, in our, because they run through our families, my family, your family. Just think about that. Two people in the house. 
the house was almost on fire. If the neighbor didn't call out, probably that house would have burned down. But two people were there. So you see that there is a lack of godly wisdom today in our society. Now, most of us here, we have a lot of seniors, a lot of dad and mom. Most of us have been all Christians. I want you to consider the glory. Just let's consider the glory of the new house. When you look at the taste of Christianity today, when you see the taste of the church, and compare what you saw when you came to know Christ, what, what, what is your judgment? Are you saying you're liking what you're seeing today in the church? Or you're seeing a change, you're seeing a sour you're seeing a lot of counterfeit in the church. In the book of Ezra chapter 3, verse 11 to 12, go with me there. The book of Ezra says, With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. Why many others shouted for joy. This is, I just, can you connect this story? This is telling all the story about these Jews, these families who went away for almost 70 years, they were gone, taken away from their own land. They never had their really true worship with the Lord, and now they're back to their land. The moment they came back, the first thing they did, they didn't waste, waste no time, was just to put up a temple where they can worship their Jehovah God. Because as a Jew man, you can take everything away from him but never take away his worship. So these men and women, these families who came back, started putting up the temple. But one thing they did was, as they were putting this new temple, they made sure that they put it right where the old one was. The moment they laid the foundation and begin to raise the wall and put the roof, they didn't wait. They just went right there and started worshiping God. But something happened here. The Bible said, as they were worshiping, the younger ones were jumping up and dancing and rocking everywhere. But the old ones, the priests, the old families, the ancient men who saw the old temple, who knew the enormity, who knew the vast of Money, wealth that was invested into that temple. They could not see that Shekinah glory again. They could not see that beauty anymore. In fact, in the old temple, when they did the dedication, the Bible says on that day, Solomon offered to the Lord 22,000 cattle and 120 sheep and goats. That was what Solomon 
offered to God when the old temple was being dedicated. And now they have new temple. So all these old men and these priests who saw the glory, they couldn't see anything anymore. The Bible said they started crying. They started weeping. That was a place in the book of Jeremiah, if I remember again, where God told, no, Ezekiel, say Ezekiel, go to the land and mark those who are weeping and crying for the, weep, for the evil, for the blood that is shared in the city. Say, mark them and set them aside. And he said also, mark other people who just play a blind side. Say, mark them also too and kill them. So if God looks down on us this morning, look into my heart, look into your heart. How are you seeing the church in our time? What I'm sharing you, sharing with all this week, these are my perspectives. I'm a father, I have a wife, I have four children. Most of us know what it takes to raise children. Most of us have raised children. Some of us are still raising children. So some of the things I've been sharing with you, these are the things that are purely from my perspective as a father, as a pastor, a shepherd of God's family, as a counselor, dealing with all these intricacies of human souls and also as a cultural worker, as a missionary who have walked from Africa down to this place and from this place back to Africa. Some of the things I'm sharing with you are some of my perspective, the things God has put into my heart over these years that has helped me and continue to help me. And everything I'm sharing with you this season or this month or this week, all based on the biblical truths, the word of God. Because if it's not in the Bible, it's not worth it. Everything we do is in the Bible. Now let's look at wisdom and language. Language is a very, very beautiful thing. We are blessed with language. When language is your language of your culture, when it is your language of your instructions, when it's your language of your commerce, sometimes you have an edge. You have an advantage over people who is not their language. We have almost 6,500 spoken language today in the world. But 2,000 of those languages have only 1,000 people that can speak those languages. Just think about Nigeria, for example. Nigeria has almost 320 languages. 300, just Nigeria. Imagine you coming to Nigeria. And so, language is very, very powerful. In Old Testament, we saw how God used language to scatter the nation. Then in New Testament, we saw how God used language so you unify the nation, unify the church. So language is very, very, very important. See, 
We are living on a very, very, very intricate time. When a, a gesture, when a joke, when a simple sentence that didn't come out well can just split friends, can split a church, can spark a fire in the whole world. Simple because that word didn't merit with wisdom or empathy or love or even sensitivity, knowing where you are, knowing people who are there. And so when words didn't come out well because it lacks wisdom, it can split friends. We've seen that today happening all over our nations. Pain is real. Pain is real. When people are in pain, sometimes they cry. They shed tears. They cry. Sometimes they take their hands to hold this head because it seems like this head is going to fall down because they are really in pain. Sometimes they want to hide their face, don't want to see anything anymore because they are in pain. Or sometimes children, they can just open their lungs and cry and just to get it out there. And sometimes when people are in pain, they want to find something to hide under. I have gone through pains. It is in this heart. If you can dissect me and see the pain that is, is in this chamber, you couldn't believe it. On that 16 years, I buried three sister-in-laws in my family. One of my daughters is in glory. She was five months old. I didn't see her. I didn't feel her pain. I didn't feel her cry. I didn't touch her. She was in pain. She's in glory. Most of us are dealing with pain. Some of us are here this morning are dealing with pain. Most of all these people you see on this picture may end up in this church or other churches. The Bible said the name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous run into and be safe. When people are in pain, they are running, they are looking a place, they can, somebody can hold them and look at them and say, I understand your pain. I feel your tears. Just think what would that mean if those people come to our church and somebody fire a bullet from this altar and hit that person and to injure that person and to cause wound in that person because of lack of wisdom, lack of sensitivity, lack of empathy. This place... People always call a bully pulpit. When you are here, you have a lot of power. You can say something from here that can destroy the church of Christ. 
So we want as people come to our church with pains, when they leave our church, we want them to be healed. We want them to be lightened up. We want them to have a fresh breath. We want them to say, somebody touched me today. The man who spoke, the preacher who spoke, the teacher who taught me, touched my life. And that can only happen with wisdom. You have to feel people, their pains, before you know what to say to them, so that you don't kill them back, so we don't kill them back. And hoping we are helping them. The church is like a hospital. People go to hospital when they are sick to get well, to see a doctor, to see a nurse. They want to go home and get here. I go, you go. And how will it be if your loved one goes to hospital? You go to hospital and they screwed you up. Your doctor kill you, your nurse kill you. They wrote bad medication to you. They misdiagnose your problems. How do you feel about that? And that can happen in the church. And it happened where, when wisdom is lacked. The church hasn't changed. The church is still the church 2,000 years ago. The problem of the church hasn't changed. It's the same family. Same problem. Same solutions. But what has changed is the wisdom in which the New Testament church handle these problems. That is what has changed. Same family, the body of Christ, that's what we are. The church faced with barrage of persecutions. Today, are we not facing persecutions? There was something I sent on our prayer chain some time ago, but it didn't go out. It was one of our family who saw it. And they cried and wept. They said they couldn't believe it that this is happening at our time. So the church is going through persecutions. Many Christians have been killed and still being killed today in my own country, Nigeria, and other places. So from outside, the church faced persecution. From inside, church also faced problems. There were hypocrites in the church. There were murmuring in the church. There were doctrinal questions in the church. There were family problems in the church. You find these things in the Old Testament church. We still have them today in our church. So church hasn't changed. The problem hasn't changed. But what continued to change was the way the New Testament believers handle problems and the way today we handle problems. They use the same solution. What was the solution? 
for persecution. They prayed. That's all they did. They prayed. For hypocrisy, what did they do? They confronted it. And for murmuring, what did they do? They investigated the murmuring. And they handled the problem. So church problem hasn't changed. It's same church, same people, same problem. But what we are changing so much is the way we are handling the problem of the church today. It's not the way the New Testament, New Testament church handle problems. So my brothers, my sisters, as a member of the church, God has brought us here as one family. Church is not about you, it's not about me. Church is about touching lives. And all of us pitching in. And all of us fitting in into places where God put them. But we can only do these things if we come with the wisdom of God. Not the wisdom of man. Because the church is not human property. Church is the only thing God owns in this world, is the church. And that's why we are done what we are called, a caller people, people who do things differently. So I want us, as we live from here every day, a man, a woman, a young boy, a young girl, you are a child of God with the wisdom of God, everything you do. You ask God first. What will this mean to you? Before I pray this morning, there are people I'm going to pray with. Each time I'm here, I don't just believe in my heart, this is just me. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, there's a story about a virgin. The Bible called them ten virgins. Five were wise. Five were foolish. But they were virgins. Ten of them worked so hard to be virgins. They worked so hard to be pure. They worked so hard to they, they associate themselves with the sin of that generation. And the Bible says they were virgins. You know, whatever Bible calls something is what it is. And the Bible says, Ten of them receive invitation to come to wedding. And ten of them went to the wedding. And ten of them carry a lantern. But the Bible says something happened, something changed. The five this way carried their lantern without extra oil. This five here carried their lantern with extra oil. 
as they came to that wedding, there was a delay. Each time I read this scripture, you know what comes to my mind? I say, this wedding happened in Nigeria. Because you hear African time, when you say something will start by 10 o'clock in the morning, by 12 p.m., people are not there yet. So this wedding looked like something happened in Africa somewhere, maybe in Nigeria. But hear this. The Bible says, as they delayed, they fell asleep. All of a sudden, there was a call. Get up. Come in. The bride is here. The Bible says, those five virgins that were wise, they turned their lantern, and then they saw that their oil and their fire has all burned through. They add more oil into their lantern, and they turn it on, and then they walk in into the wedding. But the other five that were foolish, the Bible said, they had no extra oil. They were asking plays. Could you give us some oil? They were going around asking people who would give them extra oil. But the Bible said it was late. The door has been shut. This morning, many of us here may be running out of oil. You may be running out of energy. Your prayer life may be running out. Your relationship with God may be running down. Your Bible life may be running out. You need more oil in your life so that you will be burning and waiting for the bride because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming soon. See what is going on around the world. You think, you think this is so a mere story? No. The lion tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that died, the Bible says on the third day, he rose and he said, I will come back again. He is coming back to take you and take you and take all of us to God. I want to pray with you this morning. If you need more energy in your Christian life, just right there where you are. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning about your wisdom. Godly wisdom. I want you, Lord Jehovah, Look into this church right here now. See those people who are having struggle in their relationship with you. Those people who are struggling about how to read your word. Those who are struggling, Jehovah, how to be a good dad and a good mom. Abba Father, see them where they are this morning from this auditorium. Your presence is here. I want you to touch them. I want you to change that situation, whatever that is blocking their relationship with you. I want you, Jehovah, this morning to raise it up again so that when they live here this morning, they will feel the joy of the Lord 
in their heart again. Thank you for whom you are. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Open your eyes. If you need to talk to somebody here about some of the things I said this morning, some of our elders are here, or you can talk to anyone here who is a Christian. How can I be able to tune up my relationship with Christ? Because the kind of energy we have now is struggling. We need to increase our energy. Amen? God bless you, my church. See you again next week. Bring somebody when you come, okay?